0: I turn my focus on Alistair, and, as expected, as soon as he feels my gaze lock in on him, his face curves towards mine. His eyes narrow and he smirks, gesturing with his head towards the young guy, who is now hovering in the background with such poorly feigned nonchalance that even a man like Alistair can see straight through him. Once upon a time, in fact, Alistair was a boy much like this one. I wonder what he'd look like twenty years ago circling around a woman like me. What came before the man that's beside me? What did he feel like before his life experience has shaped him into this being? And just like that, I realize that I want Alistair to choose his fate and walk into the unknown with the clearest of visions. Besides, I still feel a little guilty about the trick I played in the shower that got us into this mess. This gesture can serve as a nod towards peace, an olive branch symbolizing a more equal partnership in the journey. So I let one corner of my mouth rise up and narrow my own eyes right back at him. I shrug my shoulders and tilt my head, a why-not gesture that I couple with my raised eyebrows to silently ask him the question, Are you in? He catches what I'm throwing in a heartbeat, so quickly that I'm left pleased with my decision to let him walk beside me as an equal. He deserves it. I watch him nod, once, deliberately, heavy with intention. Although he may not know exactly what I have in store for him, I've already wormed my way deep enough under his skin to keep any hesitation at bay. That pied piper cunt of mine must still be playing her tune. A silent one that his psyche hears, following with ears open, nose to the air, tracing the trail as single-mindedly as a dog tracks his scent. I grin, running the tip of my tongue back up to my incisor. I hold it there, locking eyes with Alistair. My cunt twitches, and I can see and feel that same current hit him a beat later. His chest starts to flush, red slowly seeping out from under his shirt collar as my own body heat rises in concert. We're in a land outside of the confines of space and time, trapped in another endless moment making a deal somewhere far outside of here. This is a point of no return. Finally moving away from the paint chips and towards the kid, I turn on my heels so quickly I make my skirt spin. The worn flannel pleats open, lifting up and creating a gentle breeze that blows on my bare cunt. A matching chill across the bottom of my ass, contrasting with the heat running up my spine towards my face, spurs me to speak up and quickly. I want to get this show on the road I walk up to the boy, who's now turned around, tapping him on the shoulder so he does his own spin, or part of a choreographed dance he and I. I take note of his name when he turns, close enough to decipher the cluster of letters. Elijah. Of course it's fucking Elijah, a miracle-performing prophet indeed. God has blessed the universe and her many tricks and treasures. A little nod like this allows me to truly settle into the current of today's strange turn of events. What are the odds? A hundred percent when you're riding the right tides. I think we could use your help after all, Elijah. And as I vocalize his name, I run my finger across the name tag on his chest. I draw out every syllable like honey on my tongue, stretching it out, lingering on every vibration. As I feel his pectoral muscle ripple under the tip of my index finger. The guy grins with a look of authentic glee, like he's a fucking kid at Disney World. You can call me Eli, and I can guarantee I'll do my best to help you. Ma'am. He draws out the ma'am for a moment with a bit of sparkle in his eyes. It's a feral glint of boldness, spurred on by my extended contact. I feel something else stirring me, too, some fleeting sense of deja vu, but it's gone by the time I begin explaining our problem. Well, Eli, my friend and I had a bit of an accident in the bathtub earlier this morning, and the shower curtain seems to have decided to part ways with the ceiling. I think we were asking a little too much of it, if you know what I mean. A sly smile bouncing back from me is all it takes. Now I can feel not one, but two flushed cocks pointing straight at me. I have no doubt Alistair is barely blinking as I'm making this transaction. My cunt swells up a little. She's always a glutton for attention. Those things are usually pretty flimsy, ma'am. I'm not surprised you ran into trouble. Call me Alice. I shift our twosome slightly so that I'm now in front of where Alistair still stands, blocking his view somewhat and physically taking charge of the situation with the whole of my body. As I detail our predicament, this delightful young thing standing in front of me hangs on my every word. I'm careful to include just enough slightly salacious details to bait the trap, and I deliberately maintain eye contact brushing my hand against his arm as I explain, laughing over my own incompetence and turning Alistair's frustration with my barren tool chest into something slightly comical, careful not to make it seem as though his own masculine fix at prowess was lacking in any way. I have plenty of time to explore the room on that one later. Right now I need to reel in this catch, let the other things take care of themselves in their own time. I lower my voice in a conspiratorial tone, making Eli lean in closer to hear what I'm saying over the background hum of the busy store. I know this isn't how y'all usually handle things, but is there any way you could come by my place this evening? Bring your own toolbox and give us a hand? To be quite honest, I am bored to fucking death with this whole ordeal, and if I have to spend one more minute thinking about tools and fixtures and shit like that, I'm literally going to drop to my knees screaming right here in the middle of your aisle. And none of us want to see that. I laugh after I say this to dissipate any tension, but I have no desire to be misunderstood. I lock eyes with Eli and lift my brow, just as I did with Alistair a few minutes ago, extending the invitation. I'd be happy to bring my tools and give you a hand. Another little wink, a salty grin. I'm already growing fond of this kid's banter. Alistair snorts, the derisive noise cutting a swath through the wall of my delight, but I simply turn around and smile at him. The radiance pouring off my face causes his own mirror in kind. I can tell he's surprised at returning my smile unbidden, but I'm not. On some level, even Alistair knows that this is going to be both a fun and fascinating evening. While all three parties involved may know what's coming, at least in a very basic sense, I'm unsure how familiar they are with the nature and rhythm of threesomes. There are more formations than your fantasy-driven mind may produce for you. More often than not, the three features two spokes coming out of the same center. The energies of the spokes are balanced, but it is unmistakably two focusing on the other. This was Richard's only threesome formation that was considered acceptable, and he could be the only true center. However, Richard was neither my first rodeo nor my last, so I know damn well that's not the only flavor. There's the full triangle with equal energies in every direction. Connections exist in all combinations around the three, whether it be physical or emotional. This is the strongest of shapes, but more difficult to sustain in perpetuity. Usually it morphs from a triangle into two spokes from one center and back again, but there's yet another formation for the three and it's the one that breaks everything apart and spells doom for the unskilled experimenters, the odd-man-out formation. Two become so entangled and lost in their own moment that the third is left forgotten, confused, abandoned, alone. Imagine how it feels, naked, with blood pumping in your cunt your balls, coursing through you from top to tail, suddenly left in your own world, discarded by the two. The rejection and denunciation make the monkey mind start running rampant. This is the formation I will be employing for my own purposes tonight. Alistair and I find ourselves finally free from the store's oppressive fluorescence. I didn't ask why he wasn't at work. I didn't care, and he wouldn't have told me the truth anyway. He's not the most honest sort of man, but I can't blame him too much. Alistair can't even be honest with himself about who he truly is. Now, can he be honest with anyone else about anything? We wandered the streets somewhat aimlessly, eventually retiring to my apartment with little recollection of anything of import. It was obvious to both of us that we were simply waiting for the thing to really begin. To Alistair's credit, he navigated the empty space gracefully. He's a man that can handle himself, at least when he's not under duress. I'm again impressed with his moxie. When we returned to the apartment, I coaxed him back into the bedroom with my bare cunt. As he lapped at my pussy, I found myself stroking his hair. My fingernails traced his temples, the gray that's forming there against his will, and caused his shoulders to relax visibly. This is a man who needs to rest. I pulled him up to me then and nestled myself into the spot on his chest that I've always loved on men, that spot where my head fits in a knot. As my cheek meets his chest, though, I'm confronted with a sudden pinprick of bitter disappointment. But it doesn't surprise me. I already know that there will never be as perfect of a fit as Richard offered me. There was a time in my life when that spot on his chest was my safe place. The one I dreamed about when I felt lost. The one I craved when the world was falling down around me. The one every cell in my body cried out for every time he hurt me. I wanted his comfort. That damn safe place on his chest called out to me even when he was the one I wanted to be kept safe from. Sometimes the most comfortable places are the most dangerous of all. The fit is close enough on Alistair. He rests his hand on my ass and I start stroking his cough. I tickle my fingers up and down the shaft, feathery strokes against his balls. No pressure, just the slowest and lightest of touches. As he swells, I stay with my breath, vibrating pure relaxation and holding myself so still that he can't help but begin to drift. I notice his own breathing steady, despite the hardening of his cough, and I join him in the waves, coasting on the ripples I created to take him away from here for a few minutes. We ride and regenerate ourselves, stealing for what's soon to come. I wake up naturally, slowly, watching the afternoon light shift through my apartment. Through the open bedroom door, I can see it creep across my chartreuse velvet couch, my battered antique coffee table, my rag rug that sucked up the spills and tears of my entire adult life with few signs of battle damage. I use the moments alone to center myself. I reach from that deep place within my gut, looping around my cunt and bearing down into my roots. May this tether hold me steady and help me stay braced through the impending rains and winds. We've arrived at the calm before the storm. You must be flexible, Alice. You remain to bend in the wind, and you will withstand the things that are coming your way. Alistair woke a short time later. He's startled at first, although true to form, he tries to hide the vulnerability from me. I don't take it personally. I don't imagine he takes lazy afternoon naps with many of his female conquests. It's another signal to him that I am different. This thing we have is different than what came before and what will come after. He turns towards me and smiles sheepishly. Did I fall asleep? I assure him that he's done nothing untoward, nor marred my view of his masculinity with this rare, tender moment. I then offer him my cunt again. This time I let him keep going fucking me with his fingers, tracing circles around my clit as I bounce up towards him, swelling and begging and finally screaming as he drinks his fill and falls back, gasping and choking. I look at him, noticing how his eyes are watering, how the flush on his neck creeps up towards his hair, which is sweaty and disheveled and soaked with my cup. I see his face is waltzed red near his ears. Toward the end, I had my legs scissored around him, pinning him against his will and imposing my own rhythm and needs, grinding his face into me, suffocating and drowning him. My survival over his own, the priority of the moment. Now, as I watch him shake his head a little, the cobwebs behind his eyes clear, and he finally speaks. Fuck me. I don't know what the fuck you have in that sweet pussy of yours, Alice, but I can't fucking get enough. The truth of that statement rings out like a bell in the silence of the apartment. Alistair is not the type to say such things. I know that he's confused by me. By us. But I also know he can't get enough. Of course he can't. I already told you. Once they taste me, they never forget. Nor do they ever turn me down. It's a superpower, I guess. A strange one compared to being able to turn lead to gold, or leap tall buildings in a single bound, or fly through the heavens without wings. Nonetheless, it's proven to be a formidable power. Over the years, I've learned that I have quite a few of these unique tools in my belt. I'm not special, though. Not really. We all have superpowers. Each of us with a unique combination that we have to figure out over the course of our lives. We find them, we learn to use them, and somewhere in the puzzle of skills lies the backward logic towards what your lifetime on this earth is meant to be. Sex weapons, backward logic to here, with Alistair, healing him with my cunt. This is simply what one does, right? Alistair heads to the bathroom to wash as best he can in the sink, and I use the time to don my armor for the evening. I decide on white lingerie. Purity in spades, as I'm the good girl who chose to take Alistair along willingly. As I slide the white thigh-high stockings up my smooth legs and lean over to adjust my tits and my corset, and take a quick glance in the mirror to appraise my aesthetics. My eyes reflect back at me, and as I stare into the green, I see myself, my soul, a little too clearly for comfort. These are the same eyes that looked at themselves on my wedding day, draped in yards and yards of white lace and silk instead of the minuscule scraps I'm wearing today. How lost I've been in the years between. How lost I already was, as an innocent and white being led like a lamb to slaughter. The Red Queen I've become in the years since makes this white seem like a lie of enormous size with extraordinary implications. That mindset will never do for tonight, will it? So I avert my gaze quickly, focusing instead on myself as a whole, looking at any detail outside of my own eyes, appraising myself again, but this time as a man. Through a lens of carnal interest, I take in the curve of my tits, the shape of my ass, and the plumpness of my bottom lip. My bare cunt is peeking out from my panties. My clitoris is barely visible in the mound of silky, soft flesh. Once I switch my visual filter to that lens of lust, my pussy responds in kind to the girl she sees in the mirror. I feel myself get wet. My nipples get hard. My mouth waters and my skin starts heating up around my thighs and my neck. When you can turn yourself on with the view in your own mirror, you know you're on fire. Satisfied, I wrap my silk kimono around my body and head for the kitchen. I've realized that while Alistair's metaphorical hunger may be sated by my cunt his literal hunger is a different story. Plus, it would be improper to have a guest over and not have anything on offer. A southern hostess by birthright with roots that run deep, I simply take stock of my goods and get to chopping. Fresh onions, peppers, and garlic. Roasted poblano and tomatoes from the garden, canned during growing season. A loaf of bread from the bakery down the street. Bought in bulk and frozen for the times I'm craving some soft cheeses and a crusty loaf. Some girls drown their sorrows in ice cream. I find that I prefer red wine and a black market camembert. Before long, I have a pot bubbling and filling my small kitchen with the warm smells of cumin and chili. Alistair comes out, following his nose like that damn breakfast toucan of my childhood. Fully dressed and skin shining, but still clearly disheveled. A lack of shower will do that to you. Smells delicious, Alice. Here I was, thinking you were too sexy to be able to make something this appetizing. Next thing I know, you're going to pull out a flowered apron and a feather duster. He snorts with amusement at his own joke, but little does he know. All seven of my aprons feature flowers. And ribbons. Bows. One even has bells that gently chime as I dance my way across the tiled floor from refrigerator to stove to sink and back again. Alistair doesn't know that I also used to keep a 6,000-square-foot house impeccable with feather dusters and rope mops. Richard went so far as to buy me a French maid outfit one year, told me to wear it when I cleaned, that it was just good, kitschy fun. Naturally, I played along and even found myself liking it for the first few months. Once the novelty wore off, however, I would stare darkly at that costume dreading putting it on, but knowing exactly what insipid criticism and put-downs would begin again once I switched back to cleaning and sweatpants or leggings. So I kept on playing, pretending I liked it, finding the pieces inside of me that enjoyed the degradation and could survive it without taking damage. Surprisingly enough, I learned that those same pieces didn't just survive the experiences, they actually thrived in them. They were able to feed me, and I was able to thrive. This became my secret weapon. It's how I began to fight my way out. Alistair knows so little about me, but I'd like to keep it that way. Despite my apparent openness, my vulnerability is infinitesimally calculated. Risks are always known and agreed to willingly. After breaking free of Richard, I've never stopped protecting myself. I've never let my guard down without an agenda of my own and one hand on the kill switch. Openness on command, then closing back up again. No one can actually touch my heart. While I make it a policy to never say never, I fear the inescapability of this truth. Even as I write these recollections now, I can tell you that the years have not settled me into any sort of comfortable vulnerability, although I wish sometimes that they had this isn't about me now. The story is about Alistair. Our journey together as I remember it. I smile brightly at him. He's high on the smell of home cooking and cunt juice on his upper lip so there's no way he could perceive the running narrative behind my own eyes. He's exactly where I want him. Comfortable, cozy, and safe. Feeling off his guard for the first time with me busy looking forward to the thing that is still to come. A part of me almost regrets what is actually coming. As if on cue, the doorbell rings, across the winds of space and time, my imagination conjures up the echoes of a dog barking, delightedly alerting me to the oral intrusion and the potential guest, friend or foe. To those barks, it was a pure delight to find out, but it's only my imagination No dog barks here in this apartment when the doorbell rings. Once upon a time, though, I had a very real dog. I got her when she was a puppy, shortly after I married Richard. He told me he wanted us to be a real family, though I later learned she was just one more way to manipulate my heart. One more sinister sinew weaving me deeper into the space that we called ours. I can still smell her paws when I close my eyes. I loved her more than I've ever loved anything before. She was my one true ally in that house, the only one on this earth who knew all of me. After she passed, there was no reason to replace her, no reason to tie someone else into this mess that was us. And this Alice, the one that is free and is too afraid to bring anything else into her world of one, it's just more to protect when shit goes down. Perfect timing, Alistair. Our guest is here. And with that, Eli does a little rat-a-tat-tat on the door with my knocker, letting me know that the universe has received my call and help has arrived. I swing the door open, my bright smile growing broader still. Alistair has no idea what's about to hit him. Well, hello to you, Eli. And hello to you, Miss Alice. For a young thing, Eli buries a surprising amount of gravitas in his twang. In his monkey mind, he knows a reason for why he's here. The hot lady from the bathroom fixtures aisle has invited him over with less than pure intentions. He's not sure where the other guy fits in, but he's emboldened with the innocence of youth and entranced enough by the spell I've cast to go ahead and dive in head first. He's been in much more dangerous situations before. He knows he can handle himself. But somewhere deeper down, he also knows he's here to help me, my special agent of serendipity. It's no different than the woman who felt a pull to pay for the coffee of the man behind her in line, despite the fact that she knew nothing of the fog of loneliness that surrounded him, nor how quickly he was moving toward self-annihilation. Her simple gesture is enough to reset the course of his fate, if he allows it. It's the little things we do. Even pulling a book from the shelf at the bookstore, realizing it's not the one we want, and then leaving it on the table. Perhaps a person who wanders by afterwards sees the book. The cover catches her eye, so she picks it up and opens it, starting a chain of events that will lead her into an unexplored world. An entirely new direction for her life story spurred on by a single neglectful act on our part. Mindless on the surface, but when you see the big picture, how can you not wonder? Perhaps some part of the mind does know to leave the book there. The part that also knows everyone else's stories, their past, presents, and future's. I invite Eli in, offering him a drink while I show him to the bathroom, immediately putting him and his toolbox to work. I'm not the type to forget that my shower is broken. And if all goes to plan, I'm going to need that shower when these cocks finally take their leave and I'm left alone. I'm going to be filthy. Eli assures me that he's got it under control and willingly accepts the $100 bill I slip into his hand. Again... I'm not the type to forget things, and I'd much rather pay him now for the work. Subsequent pleasure is considered off the clock. I retreat to the kitchen, making his drink and taking a moment to stir the chili and quickly chop a few ounces of unsweetened chocolate to add to the pot. secret ingredient can start a ball rolling, after all. I deliver refreshments to Eli and then return to the kitchen, where I find Alistair busying himself on that damn phone of his. He's found a way to make himself appear at home at the kitchen table, setting himself up like it's his own personal office. I see he's even scrounged a pen and pad for a nearby nook to feel more in command of the situation. He's scribbled a few things on the page and is apparently lost in thought. However, I sense he's probably just asserting his place here. Both he and Eli are technically guests, and Alistair knows that his and my more personal relationship has only just begun. His footing isn't as strong as he's traditionally accustomed to. That's exactly how I want it. So I let him have his crutches, his little floaties in the big pool. I don't call them what they are. I pretend they don't exist. Instead, I plop down next to him in the chair. Putting my elbows on the table, I move my face down to its flat surface, so I'm peering up at Alistair. It's a great look for me. I know it. It's the same eyes that look up when I'm sucking on his cock. It's impossible to ever really separate the two once you've seen the latter in action. Psst. Psst. He cracks the slightest of smiles and puts his phone down. From the speed with which he resets himself, I know that he wasn't really interested in anything on the screen after all. I slip my hand up his thigh, grazing his cock, then lingering on it stroking my thumb back and forth across the shaft, feeling it harden. Excited? Perhaps. And with that, I slipped down off my chair, dropping to my knees on the kitchen floor. It's so cold against my skin, cutting through the thin thigh highs in a fierce contrast to the atmosphere of warmth that permeates the room. I stabilized myself by placing my mouth against his cup, Through the fabric of his pants, moving my hands to the sides of his hips, I slip his pants down, my teeth against his waistband, exposing his cock. I wrap my mouth around him, astounded that he's as hard as he is. Alistair is not a young man by any means, but his stamina for multiple encounters over a short period of time is incredible. He hasn't made me break a sweat in the foreplay department, unless I'm just sweating for fun so much to be fond of in this man. I hear Eli in the other room. Clanks, clunks, and an occasional grunt provide a little acoustic accompaniment to the chaotic rhythm I begin setting with my hand and my mouth and my tongue on his cock. Gentle at first, slow, pulsing and carrying him along. Pushing faster, moving towards a frantic pace where as soon as his heart reaches the spot it catches up, I slow back down to a painful crawl, forcefully resisting the tempting pounding and instead moving towards something that makes teeth set on edge and fingers and toes curl and clench in protest. Then back to the feverish motions drumming the pace in wild gyrations. The hands of the clock don't match the velocity of the world moving around him, spinning and stopping and spinning again until he loses his head completely the clinging, pounding, grunting, still ringing all around him. He reaches down, running his fingers through my hair, gripping my skull between both hands and lifting my face up to his, ripping my mouth off of his cock with an audible pop. He stares in my eyes, already oblivious to Eli in the other room. I can now see the whole Alistair behind the eyes of this man who sits in front of me. I can see the man he was born as, and the man he will die as. Fuck me, Alice. There's no pleading in his voice. I expected it to be whinging, weak, but instead it's a command. So much more man than I expected. I'm suddenly even more pleased with my choice to bring him down tonight's path willingly and obediently pull my panties aside at the crotch to drop down on top of him. My cunt is still slick from his mouth, so I slip right on, feeling his head travel straight up and punch deep into me, ramming my soul. I lift myself on my legs, feeling my thighs tense and burn. They've been supporting all the action of the past few days, and the pain is welcome. It's a good hurt, one that I know I'll revel in until my legs can't stand it any longer and they simply collapse under me, refusing to move like I'm a fucked-out ragdoll. I start riding him, as chaotic a gallop as the hammering around us. Pound, pound, pound. And then silence. I breathe in at the crook of his neck, biting him suddenly, making him gasp, drawing a drop of blood. Oops. I look it clean and hear Eli say, Fuck! Ouch! In the other room. What a tangled web we weave. Only a moment later I hear him call out, You're good to go, Alice, but I fucked my finger up and... The statement devolves into a deep, stifled groan when he reaches the doorway. My already exhausted thighs respond on a primal level, shaking like an earthquake as the sound moves through them. I turn to see Eli standing there, finger in his mouth, bloody bandana in his other hand, totally at a standstill, watching the action. He knew this was coming, but... I think I still managed to surprise him. I can feel Alistair's cock beating in my pussy, throbbing against my walls like an alarm bell ringing, saying, yes, 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 don't stop this now. But of course it says don't stop. This is the easy part. This is the part he's guaranteed to like, getting to show off his woman, just like Richard. It's an ego stroke. What he doesn't know is that i'm just softening him up before i slice the blade across his neck and decapitate that very same ego off with your head motherfucker like i'm the red queen except i'm wearing white i don't do anything except spin lifting up my thigh my leg coming across alistair i turn around fully still impaled on his cock Alistair is now behind me and he puts his hands on either side of my ass, rocking me back and forth and settling me deeper onto him. He wants to assert his dominance, make sure the game is on his terms. Poor Alistair, little fool. Come here, Eli. Despite my quiet tone of voice, it's clearly in order. Eli drops the bandana and steps over to me. I open my mouth and take his finger in first licking and sucking on it like it's a tiny cock as I match the speed I'm pumping on Alistair. Taking a peek behind me, I see Alistair's eyes trained on my ass, watching my asshole spreading my cheeks in trance. Good boy. I'll be sure to keep my back arched, mesmerizing him with his view. Eli moans. He's a noisy kid with so little baggage standing in the way of his demonstrative patterns, he can be crystal clear in communicating his pleasure. I move his other hand down to his cock, encouraging him to unzip his pants and move towards me. I open my mouth and shift my face down to meet his approach, still keeping his injured finger in place. He unzips his pants and they drop to the floor. Oh, glory to God and Buddha. When his cock flops out, I swear I hear fucking angels singing. Again, I send up a wave of gratitude and a tip of my hat towards the great creator and the synchronicity that surrounds us all. I've somehow managed to find a cock that puts even Alistair's decent-sized member to shame. Suddenly, the gravitas in Eli's voice makes sense. He has to feel the weight of that cock in that heavy sack all day, every day, slapping against his thigh, reminding himself that he's a man. I wonder if it's as complicated as big tits are for women. Was sports bras necessary to keep you from giving yourself a black eye on a simple jog? I chuckle at my own monkey mind running wild, suddenly lit on fire by this delicious member sitting in front of my face. I pick his cock up and wrap my hand around it. It's so thick my fingers won't close. I open my mouth wide and he slips his injured finger out finally, making room for everything between his legs that he has to give. I wrap my second hound around his base. He's so long, there's still inches of cock left over. So I just keep one up at the tip and one at the bottom, right where his balls spill out. I'm overcome with delight. The cock I'm going to be playing my little healing game with tonight is as much of an object lesson in inadequacy as the spell that I'm going to be weaving with my cunt. What a perfect talisman indeed. I hold myself still on top of Alistair. He freezes in tandem, our interconnected neural pathways shooting awareness through him, filling him with the knowledge that something is about to happen. I feel him start twitching with anticipation inside of me. On the first twitch, I look up at Eli. He's smiling down at me, his face looming large over his washboard abs, leading the way down towards where my face is poised over his cock. On the second twitch, I forcefully stroke down his length from tip to balls. Only a single stroke as a taste of what's still to come. The third time Alistair's cock twitches, I start bouncing. Gently, stroking Eli's cock just as gently. My mouth is still wide, waiting for its meal with patient anticipation. I'm salivating at this point. The tension has solidified into delicate layers, weaving itself in and out of the cooking smells, intensifying the desperation within all three of us until it reaches a critical level. I continue to bounce slowly, moving my face closer to Eli's cup, feeling Alistair's fingertips digging deep into the thickest part of my hips, then moving underneath until they're cupping my ass. Once he has me in his hands, supporting my weight, I drop my head down onto Eli and start pounding away at both of them, mouth and cunt, over and over, milking Alistair's cock with my pussy while I breathe deeply through my nose, choking on Eli's fat cock and feeling his own hands at my hair. The build-up was so great; poor Alistair explodes almost immediately, exactly as I had hoped. As he fills me up, I manage to choke out a laugh around Eli's cock. I screech to a halt, keeping Eli in my mouth, but turning my face towards Alistair. I fix myself into a state of contempt and brace for the next, less pleasant part of the game. I don't think it's going to go over well. I sneer at Alistair, allowing the emotions to roll off of me in waves. It's easy to conjure the force of a feeling at will when you keep all the pieces of yourself and your memories handy. Dropping myself back into the space of my marriage, I arrive in a place where the air is tinged with regret, but overwhelmingly flavored with disgust. Disgust for myself, my own weak choices that left me stuck in this place. My disgust at Richard, the disappointment of a man who makes sure no good deed goes unpunished. All of these things I gather within, and then use my eyes to send them barreling towards Alistair like a freight train. The force with which it hits him is easily observable. I watch it slap his face and see him recoil from the blast. I see the pain it causes for just a moment before that pain morphs into anger and his defenses start to build. I slowly take my mouth off of Eli's cock. To his credit, he's frozen in time, completely still. The whiff of danger has left him motionless in his track. I imagine he's holding his breath to see what happens next, terrified and possibly already regretting his decision to come to this strange woman's house tonight. He's moved to the piece of himself that stands outside of it all, watching with a detachment that is unique to the young and self-involved, the ones who were entertained through their formative years by a small screen they kept in their pockets, a screen where they learned to sit apart from everything and simply watch casual observer, only mildly interested in seeing if the world rights itself before it burns down. I stand up, Alistair's cock flopping out of me, already shrinking back into itself with shame. Rightfully so, as the forces of my disappointment leave little to argue with biologically. A wad of his cum drops to the floor, and I swear that time is moving so slowly I can watch its splash pattern. It reminds me of blood at a crime scene. I notice Alistair's eyes follow it too, stopping at the spatter on the tile floor. We turn our faces towards each other, and I wrap my hand around his wrist. Squeezing hard, I force him to his feet, pulling him towards the bedroom. On my way through the door, I instruct Eli to wash his finger up in the sink then help himself to the chili on the stove. I tell him I'll be back with first aid supplies. Then I close the bedroom door behind Alistair and myself. Slowly, intentionally, deliberately. I hear it click shut behind me. And it's not until I hear the click that I acknowledge Alistair again. He's been struck dumb, mute but seething. His anger is nothing more than an annoyance. A fly buzzing around me. I'm about to show him rage and surround sound. What the fuck was that bitch we fucked how many times now, and every fucking time you come in about three fucking seconds. I have no clue how you've gotten as much pussy as you claim you have over all the years prior, but I can tell you from experience that you are the most disappointing lay of my decade. A fucking child is doing better than you, and before you start popping off at me, I'm putting aside his blue-ribbon-worthy specimen and judging you both on skill instead of the more obvious category of luck and aesthetic appeal. Cock is just a tool, Alistair, a tool that a man can use with great skill. So tell me, was that your demonstration of skill? He's still sitting there with his mouth agape. He reminds me of those sad little guppies that stare at you from inside their tanks at the pet store. Whether conveying silent screams of horror or simply mutters of dissatisfaction, you know that all is not well. I grab his face, fingernails digging into his cheeks. I ask you a question, bitch. Was that your demonstration of skill? No. The word is just a whisper. My, how quickly the mighty have fallen. Alistair's eyes dropped to the floor, avoiding catching sight of the cum that still leaks down my inner thigh. The inescapable proof that he's not enough for me has left him dripping with shame. I correct him sternly. No mistress. No, mistress. I see his cock jump when he says the words. I seize it and wrap my fingernails under his balls, fingernails now digging into an even more sensitive flesh. Gently, but firmly, I know how to play in charge, riding the crests and the valleys of the sensations, causing just enough pain to arouse, but never enough to push my plaything over into true suffering, staying in the realm of only the most delicious parts of agony little by little, building up as tolerance increases, like the frog in the pot of boiling water. So slowly that you can't help but go along with the rod, taking more and more, increasing the energetic flow in your cunt and your cock until it quakes with life force, responding purely and completely to its very aliveness. Because like it or not, pain affirms that we are alive, emotional or physical, It all reminds us that we are here, in this place. Every one of us on this earth is a mortal human being, made of flesh and bone. For as long as we live, we will feel pain. Life is suffering, but it's also so much more. Alistair's eyes are glazing over, his skin is blotchy, and his mouth is hanging open slightly. He doesn't know what's happening, but I can see him being dragged along by some primitive need within himself to see where all this shall lead. A sick curiosity crawling through him, begging him to explore this dark room with this strange creature who he thought was just a fucking pizza delivery girl. I lean over a whisper in his ear, my breath so hot against him, I feel it blow back against my own cheeks. Right now I'm an enchanted dragon, heavily armored and breathing fire. I want you to get in my closet, Alistair. Crawl into it like you make bitches crawl to your bed, you fucking pathetic excuse for a man. And don't pretend that you don't fucking love this. You can't lie to me, and you can't lie to yourself. We both know that you love not being worthy of this cunt. I see the resignation in him as he accepts this inescapable truth. I watch it seep through his body from the top of his head down through his arms and into his fingers streaming down his spine and his legs and pooling into his toes. I know what that kind of surrender feels like. The surrender to a piece of yourself that loves to be degraded, that longs to be humiliated. Or maybe a piece that longs to serve with dreams of martyring itself. We all have pieces that we're ashamed of, whatever they may be. Alistair turns and begins crawling. I slap his ass as he passes me, leaving the welt of a handprint. I want you to stay there, bitch. Stay there and watch. Quietly. If you're a good boy and you can stay quiet, then you can even stroke your cock. Try to pump it back up so I'm a little less disgusted by you once I send Eli on his way. He makes his way across the threshold and sits there on his knees, staring at me with a blank expression silently submitting to me as I peel off my panties and shove them into his mouth, holding perfectly still as I walk to my side table and pull out two silk scarves one for the panties in his mouth, one for the clothing rod. He keeps staring at me as I tie him up. His mind is running and spinning, and he's left his physical form empty, subservient, acquiescent. A piece of him is watching from afar while his body stays here. The only time I see any presence behind his eyes is when I close the closet door in his face. They widen for just a moment, registering shock and panic, and I walk away before I can see if they go back to dead and dull. I've left a small gap open for him, offering a perfect view of my four-poster bed, the same one he was drinking me down on just a few hours ago, the one I stroke myself on every night the one I'm going to be spreading Eli across and ravaging before this is all said and done. I retreat to the kitchen by myself, finding a slightly frazzled Eli still waiting for me. I clean up his wound as I make excuses for Alistair, and then hand Eli another bill, asking if he will head to the bodega on the corner for some beer. He takes off gratefully, with promises to return with something good, whatever that means to a twenty-something these days. While he's gone, I deliberately ignore Alistair, instead making a show of tidying up the bathroom and bedroom. I finally stop to adjust my tits in the mirror on the closet door, and I can hear his ragged breathing speeding up when I approach. I hear him holding his breath the entire time I stand there. and I can even hear the deflated whoosh when I turn to leave the room. He's still on the hook. What a good boy. I don't typically enjoy beer, which is why we didn't have any on hand. However, as we clinked our bottles together only a short time later and Eli all too eagerly accepted my explanation that Alistair had stepped out for the night, I drained the hoppy fizz down to the dregs with relish. Eli is ready to pick up exactly where we left off, sans the dead weight that is Alistair. So taking Eli's hand, we head towards the bedroom where that dead weight has been quietly and patiently waiting. My captive audience is exactly where he needs to be right now.